Welcome to Prioritize Your Mind with Jeffrey Lewis. We will offer strategies for improving mental health through informative interviews with local, regional, and national experts. Let me welcome everyone tonight to the EMC Health Foundation lecture series. This is the last for 2020. We created this program in conjunction with the Carnegie Arts Center, our proud partner. Tonight, we are focused on a conversation about maintaining well-being for educational professionals. Our featured guest, I'm proud to say, is Dr. Lauren Hodges a performance coach, facilitator, instructional designer who blends physiology and well-being and neuroscience, behavioral psychology sprinkled with faith into one incredible and amazing consultant. Lauren has worked with Stanford Medical School, Stanford Medicine, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Covenant Ministries of Benevolence, J.P. Morgan, and many more. Let me just say, welcome to Lauren. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining us all the way from somewhere in warm weather, Florida. Why don't we start out with um, just a brief discussion about the project that EMC Health has been funding that you've been working on with uh, superintendents from Denaire, Houston, and Gustine, and administrators from Denaire, Houston, Gustine, and Patterson. Why don't you share a little bit about what you've been doing and what we've launched over the last six months? Sure. So the initiative originally started to span the summer of 2020. Um, you and uh, EMC recognized a significant gap in the um, support for mental health uh, for the educational leadership in those areas. And so when we started to talk about that and strategize on solutions, we came up with some performance coaching that was one-to-one -one in private and confidential. And I have been working with them um, since June. And at the end of summer, we realized the, the program was so successful that we decided to extend it, which I was very grateful for. And we are actually sadly wrapping up next week. But this performance coaching, it transcends um, personal and professional life. It just really is a um, a really um, immersive experience and private um, coaching that helps them better align their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being and identify areas in their work and home life that they can insert small strategies to improve their energy, improve their well-being, and better manage their stress and improve their resilience. And I'm really happy to say that it's been a huge success. I've been collecting data this past week and um, happy and thankful to say that it has been overwhelmingly positive. And the pre and post assessments that we've taken, we've seen about an average of a 35 point increase, which is about a 15% to 20% improvement across the board for everybody's experience of um, health, happiness, and their self-perceived ability to manage their stress, which is a significant jump in six months. Everybody's kind of reported seeing positive changes across the board in their life. And they've told me they don't know what they would have done without it. So really thankful for the opportunity and just really 
really enjoyed working with it, this team of, of 12 educational leaders. And one very cool spinoff of that is that a lot of them saw that return on investment and wanted to bring it to their teams and scale it. And so we've done a few different things with uh, different um, districts in the area. And, you know, from bringing training and webinars to all teachers, principals, admin, et cetera, to a combination of training and one-to-one coaching for all teachers to small group huddle coaching. I mean, you name it, we've been able to start thinking about and scaling those opportunities and bringing them to everybody. So it's been been really cool to see the program kind of blossom. It's clear from our conversations and the work I've been doing with superintendents across the communities that many teachers are reporting an overwhelming demand and constant for constant change, which makes planning almost impossible. Uh, While we can't change the situation in terms of COVID-19, what do you, what do you recommend when you, when you feel overwhelmed And when you feel like you can't take much more, what can you recommend to an educator of what they should consider to do? So one of the primary things that we've been working on and that I work on with all of my clients is helping them better understand where that overwhelm is coming from and helping them understand um, the source of that stress and, and identifying what it is and then redirecting and taking a moment of recovery for themselves. So when somebody is feeling overwhelmed, worried, anxious, maybe feeling like things are out of their control, one of the most immediate actionable strategies they could take is to redirect that thinking. I think of, you know, when my um, boys were toddlers and they were misbehaving, um, I would have to redirect their behavior, redirect their attention to get their mind off of the thing, or they're having a tantrum to get their mind off of things. I would try to redirect their behavior and attention. The same thing goes for your brain. Your brain essentially, um, when it's experiencing stress, what's really happening is something physiological called the stress response. And there's a part of the brain called the amygdala that essentially hijacks your brain and it takes control and it diminishes your ability to think clearly, focus, use logic, reason, etc. And so one of the things, overwhelm is, is an experience of stress. It's almost like a, um, a red alert or um, a you know, a a sign or symptom that you're in need of some sort of recovery. So I guess what I'm getting at is that one of the best things you could do when you feel overwhelmed is you can try to redirect your attention to something that brings you recovery. One of the strategies that I talk to a lot of my clients about, and I talk a lot about on, on webinars and trainings is this concept of creating oscillation into your day. This is, when I say oscillation, you think about a fan that oscillates back and forth. When, and this is, um, this is talking about going upstream and being a little bit more intentional, but one of the best things you could do for yourself is insert ahead of time moments of recovery into your day, whether they're physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, and I'll kind of give some examples in a second, inserting intentional recovery ahead of time into your day and creating that oscillation between being quote unquote on and then moving into a moment of recovery can actually help combat that stress response and the subsequent feeling of being overwhelmed and, um, and, and things feeling cumulative and out of your control. 
And so what that would look like, small things, you know, uh, um, physical, you would think about taking a deep breath, having a healthy snack, um, getting a glass of water, you know, um, maybe standing up and stretching or taking a brisk walk, just tiny moments of recovery. Even 30 seconds of breathing can kind of redirect some of that feeling of overwhelm. When you think about the mental, emotional um, kind of dimensions, you can think about, again, taking that deep breath, maybe trying to reframe the situation, thinking more positive positively, taking even inventory and naming and claiming the emotions you're feeling, um, texting a loved one, you know, um, when I say spiritual, kind of backing up and thinking about gratitude and um, again, reframing and trying to think of things in a more positive light. So there's a lot of different ways that you can insert moments of recovery into your day, both ahead of time and then sort of as needed in the moment when you're feeling that overwhelm. So there's a participant on the call who has a 12-year-old son who struggled with remote learning. He's bright, he's outgoing, likes school, gets good grades, but his work has suffered. A teacher friend said to the parents that your son is a social learner and he thrives on the participatory aspects of education. Uh, what can the parents do? Well, First of all, I'm right there with you. Um, my boys are 10 and 11, and they are both social learners um, in every which way. And we had we really struggled with remote learning with regard to their mental health and well-being. They really, really missed their friends and the connection there, and it did impact their learning too. So, you know, I'm I'm right there with you, and I feel you. One of the things that we did was bend and flex our rules on using devices after school and letting them connect with their friends virtually. I was having Zoom uh, happy hours with my friends during the shutdown here in Florida, and I was letting my my boys do the same and having those connections with people. Um, we were also... Um, letting them get as much playtime as possible. And we were also having them um, write letters to their friends who were, you know, six houses down and we were mailing them so that their friends were getting mail and it was kind of exciting. So that was another thing we did to help. It is really hard when they're social learners. Um, I, I don't, I can only speak parent to parent that we, we did, bend and flex a little bit on their device um, usage. And I was letting them FaceTime a little more often than I probably would. Our teachers were also allowing some time after school for our, um, our, my sixth grader to stay on Zoom for a little while and talk to his friends. Just unstructured talking time, as long as they were keeping it, you know, PG and keeping it clean and not abusing the Zoom rules, in which they didn't. So I don't know if that helps you, but those were some strategies that we used to, to, to help. Um, and we, we tried to make sure that we were listening as much as we could and staying really fully engaged with them when they would talk to us about school and try not to let our stress impact them because it was quite stressful, as you know, having my children at home and trying to work at the same time. So I was trying my best to um, not let that get to, to them. You know, as I looked into your background, deep into your background, actually, uh, it seems that you're a big advocate of meditation and mindfulness practices. And I'm, I'm, I, meditation, I'm perfectly comfortable with. When you give me the mindfulness practices, I'm a little loose and saying, hmm, 
Sounds like yoga for the mind. Uh, can you walk us through what that is and how that could help an educator? Yes, absolutely. So there's a lot of um, similarities and correlation between meditation and mindfulness. Meditation is a practice of being mindful. Mindfulness is just quite literally drawing your thoughts away from the past and the future and bringing yourself to the present and taking inventory in the present of your surroundings, of your sights, of your thoughts, of your emotions, of your behaviors. It is a fantastic practice, as is meditation. I'm such an advocate because I've done a very deep dive into that research. I've done it for companies I've worked for. Right now, I contract with Accenture, and I work um, in... um, a department of theirs called the Institute for Applied Learning Sciences. And I've been very fortunate these past six months to really take a very deep dive into meditation's impact on our cognition, on our learning capacity. And then of course I have all this, you know, background and research in meditation and its impact on our mental health and well-being. I have to tell you, Jeffrey, we could spend an hour talking about meditation alone. Let me give you a few benefits. You know, maybe I can get you to buy into practicing it a little bit. <laughs> so we'll zoom, we'll do we'll a meditate by zoom together, it'll work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll have a class. If I can get you to meditate, I feel like I would win at life, I think. Yeah, I think um, you my wife would agree. <laughs> so here's a couple of benefits of meditation, right? Let me give you a list of kind of the overarching ones, and then I'll really get into a little bit of detail. Overarching benefits of meditation. Get this. Meditation increases the size of your hippocampus. Where have you heard that before? So the brains of um, regular meditators actually change in structure as well. So you can grow by as much as 16% the size of your hippocampus. Again, the hub for long-term memory storage and an area closely tied to emotional regulation. Regular meditators also have a reduced amygdala size. And the amygdala, again, plays an also important role in emotional regulation and controls the stress response. So the stress response is reduced in regular meditators. They don't have as exacerbated of a response. Meditation impacts longevity of life. It's correlated with reduced experience of pain. It's correlated with improved confidence and increased what's called internal locus of control, um, which is your belief um, in your um, sense of control over your circumstances. It's correlated with high self-efficacy and your belief in your ability to accomplish things. It is significantly correlated with a reduced risk of mental health um, crisis at some point in your life. And it is uh, also correlated with reduced worry, anxiety, overwhelm, and fear. So um, one of the cool parts about meditation, and when I say meditation, a lot of people picture sitting in a corner of a room with this wonderful, you know, space protected and sanctuary. It can look like that. It can be an intentional practice, like like you would exercise and you'd carve out, make a gym in your in your garage or whatnot. But meditation can also be focused, intentional breathing anywhere. 
in the car on your drive home, standing at the bus stop, standing in line at the grocery store. It could be in the middle of your class when your students are wacky and all over the place and you stop and everybody focuses on the rising and falling of their breath. All of those things are meditation. And one of the cool things about it, when you take, and I would challenge everyone on this call, just go ahead and take a deep breath and a long exhale. And when you focus on that exhale and you try to double your exhale to your inhale, I'll challenge you on that one. What you're really doing is you're triggering in your exhale something called the parasympathetic nervous system and the release of a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, which calms the heart rate. So when you're experiencing stress, not good stress, but negative stress, a deep breath can do wonders to regain your control over your breathing and of your heart rate and gain, excuse me, gain control over that stress response. So meditation just has um, so many benefits and I usually highly recommend it to people. And, and, you know, the same goes for practicing being mindful in general. Mm-hmm. What if you were intentional and stopped once a day to just take inventory How am I feeling? Where am I at? What are my emotions? Am I doing okay? What do I need? That's that's a practice of being mindful. And maybe meditation is an action you take as a result of being more mindful. So I'm really doing quite well because I'm mindful every day, taking action to make sure that I'm taking deep breaths, which I'm going to do more of. Yes. And try to exercise more, which all fits together. <laughs> um, it all sounds great. Now, let me, let me take a step backwards to our reality. So we have educators um, who are trying to slow down in a world that is asking them to speed up and make decisions for circumstances that are changing just as fast as they make them. Mm-hmm. So how do we help them manage that? So what I've been doing in a kind of overarching way with my educational leaders, that cohort, really what it comes down to is I can't help take away the demand, like I said, but I can better equip them to manage it, aka increased capacity. This is a three-part process, and I would write down these three words, purpose, mindset, preparation. Those are the three things that we have identified and then implemented, again, in such a way that were small, actionable strategies that were too small to fail. I'll go through each one really briefly. Purpose, mindset, preparation. So if you can plug those in, you're, you're going to have a, a pretty good go of it in terms of better managing your resilience. When I say purpose, what I'm referring to is quite literally your sense of meaning and purpose in life. If you can gain clarity in this area and get that 10,000 foot view again, because right now we're, we're mired and mucked up in the detail. You know, there's so much being asked of these teachers, you know, fill out this form. Here's this protocol. Don't forget about this rule. By the way, we just changed that law. So now you have to quarantine for this many days. It's just too much. It's too much to remember. Um, And so if we can zoom out once in a while and just stop and think, 
why am I here? What am I doing? Obviously, for most educators, they are called into this field for a very specific reason. Generally speaking, they have a heart of service. They want to impact lives. And if they can remember that and gain clarity in that area, the next question becomes, are your actions and behaviors aligned with that? How far off trajectory are you and what can we do to pull you back onto it? One of the things I have all of my clients do is gain clarity in this area. What is your purpose? What is the promise the world made when it made you? Yeah. And, and, and what, when you get that clarity, write it down as a statement, put it in front of you. Don't forget it. Have it pop up on your phone every day, constantly reminding you, put it on your mirror when you're brushing your teeth in the morning. So you can read it every day, constantly reminding you of your why to give you a little bit of perspective when things get really hard. The second thing is that mindset piece. This is a critical component, critical I would say maybe the most important thing we talk about tonight to make or making or breaking someone's experience of crisis. I can have two educators look at this COVID crisis, the same crisis in the same school. And one can say, we're never going to get through this. I can't do this. And one can say, we will get through this and we'll be stronger because of it. And who's going to have the better experience of that crisis? Who's going to have the increased resilience and the, the, the greater ability to manage and get through? Obviously, it's going to be the person with that perspective that they can do it and they can do it and become stronger because of it. So they're taking the crisis and they're shifting their perspective on it. And so one of the biggest pieces to performance coaching is getting people to a recognize the mindsets, narratives, beliefs um, that aren't serving them and then work to shift them and set up a mindset for success. And then the third piece is preparation. When I say preparation, this is why I keep saying the word intentional on this call. What are the systems that are in place to make sure you are taking care of you first? And so what are the systems of recovery? What are the systems of growth? And what are those small actionable up, upstream ahead of time things you're putting into place? For example, I'll give you one from my world. I, um, exercise is very important to me and I protect it fiercely. I won't take calls. I don't care how much you pay me. This is my time. And I steal it first thing in the morning, really early, usually about five 30 in the morning. Um, and I protect it fiercely. It is a boundary that I protect very strongly. I also protect two to three minutes every single day, no matter what. Um, I'll be late to a call. I don't care. I'll be late to a meeting to meditate and be mindful and just breathe. And it breaks that day. It breaks that, um, you know, mental uh, clutter that comes as a byproduct of just, you know, working really hard in a COVID situation. So uh, what kind of preparation is in place? What, when we start to talk about preparation, what I'm really trying to do is, is push people to think about what is within their control. Because I do come across a lot of people that have their hands up saying, this is too hard. They're asking too much of me. I can't do this. This isn't fair. You're right. It's not. 
and what can you do about it? What is within your control? Number one, your breathing's in your control. Number two, your mindset that you bring to this situation within your control. What I eat is within my control. How often I hydrate is within my control. And so when I start to go through that, and there you go, there you go. When I start to go through that list with people, then we start to say, okay, well, what can we take action on? What is one small thing I can do to protect my, um, my well-being and, and practice self-care and, and practice self-love in a time like this? Even, no matter what, um, even if um, everything seems like it's crashing down around me and there's too much being asked of me. And I can, I can tell you from experience, your educational leadership from the top down, they want you to protect that time. They're asking a lot of you. A lot's being asked of them. But they know the impact. They know the benefit. And they want you to carve and steal those, those uh, moments for yourself, no matter where you can get them. One, um, one big thing you can do, again, going back to it, is disconnect from work. When you're home, try your best to disconnect from work mentally and emotionally. Put the phone down. Don't check your email before bed. Don't check it first thing. You know, your, your work can't have that time. And actually, they don't want it because the reality is when you do uh, create a boundary between work and home, you're more productive, focused, and engaged and committed to your job when you come the next day. What do, we, what do you recommend for spouses who are struggling with their own mental health while trying to care for their own children at home with distance learning? I would recommend the same thing that I'm recommending here on this call. Steal and protect moments for yourself to the best of your ability um, to practice self-care. Don't give it up. No matter what, it might look different than normal. You might not have the same freedoms you had when your child was going to school. Um, but again, like I was sharing with you before, for example, exercise is a complete non-negotiable for me. So that might look different when we were all sheltering in place. It looked different. It was, it was me, you know, um, next to my son who was distance learning, just doing lunges in place and doing what I could throughout the workday, sprinkling things in because that is a non-negotiable for me. So any way that you can practice self-care, I would say if you're asking about your spouse, one thing you can do is have an open and honest conversation and ask what each other needs at a time like this. There's a, there's a, um, an exercise that I ran all of the client, my clients through in this coaching program about boundaries and identifying what those non-negotiable boundaries are for all of us. What's that one thing that you really don't want to give up? It's really important. Is it sleep? Is it exercise? Is it, is it quiet time? Is it a little bit of time, you know, for FaceTiming your friends? And if you aren't communicating those non-negotiables with your spouse or the people you live with, your partner, then that's on you. And so maybe you need to have that conversation about what do you need and what do I need? And let's make sure we're working to the best of our ability to get it. Um, and then also, you know, another thing just to throw out there is make sure that your children, um, again, to the best of your ability, are also truly disconnecting after that distance learning and doing something that's getting their brains in a good place. You know, whether it's going and running around outside or getting a little bit of exercise, hopefully you can put some strategies into place to burn a little bit of their energy. And I'm all for everybody doing something active together. I think that's a really good way to create connection and 
and decrease these experiences of mental health crises. So with that, let me say thank you again for your participation. And thank you to everyone tonight for joining us. And we look forward to what we're going to do in 2021. Be safe, be healthy, wear a mask, and hug your children and your spouse or partner. Thank you. And good night. Thank you so much, everyone. Good night. Good night, Lauren.